All right. James chapter 1, we are continuing this nice slow march. I promise we will pick up as we get towards the end of chapter 1. Oh, it's going to be one of those days for them too, apparently. <laughs> They'll be all right. They'll make it. So this is how we function as a recap. You ready? In light of God's people being scattered and retaining their joy, in light of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and its beginning in God and being applied to his people, in light of how I view my life regardless of the station that I occupy according to the world, who here has questions? Because I do, and if you don't, James anticipates them and answers them anyway. Don't you love that about him? He's so helpful, isn't he? Who runs all this stuff? Where exactly am I going? The always other important question in order to... uh, Figuring out where I'm going is useful to do what? Figure out how to get there. And what exactly is God doing in the midst of all of this sanctifying and scattering and judging and saving and all this fun stuff that's going on? To turn into a 1950s serial. All these answers and more in James 1, 12 through 18. That's as close as I get to a good announcer's voice. Although my announcer's voice is getting better as I get older. As my vocal cords continually get damaged and I lose the ability to sing in a higher vocal range, my voice sounds a little bit better, so you're welcome. About 10, 15 more years, I'll be able to do Barry White impressions. It'll be fun. And I am only half kidding because there, there was a, um, I, I had a, hang on, see? The reason why I cough and drink water like I do, I didn't used to be like this, but I had a terrible laryngitis infection about 2014. And I was struggling on a Sunday morning, and I was mute by Tuesday. And then it was Wednesday, Thursday, and I was croaking out words again by Friday and Saturday, and then I was preaching again on Sunday. And then I was struggling again the whole rest of the week because, you know, I was doing such a wonderful job of letting my voice rest and not doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. And I've never been the same since. I used to be able to actually joke around and, and hit those falsetto notes, and every once in a while I try to do it now, and it's like, there was nothing there. So years go by. I'm just continually damaging my vocal cords more and more and more. You're welcome. <laughs> Which means one of these Sundays you're going to show up and I'm going to show up and there's just not going to be anything there. We're all going to go home and be happy, right? There you go. <laughs> so yeah, that's why the coughing is what it is because every once while the vocal cords just dry out too much and they hurt a little bit and drink the water and reset everything and keep on moving. So we will have fun though. James chapter one. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Well, we know this, right? Weren't we already told this? Yes. Verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If we can't go 10 verses without repeating ourselves, what do you think that says about the thing we're saying? It might be important. We might want to stop and pay attention. Just like with your children, you speak to them just because you love the sound of your own voice. (laughs) That's why you say the same things over and over and over again, right? No, you say the same things over and over and over again because you want them to hear them, understand them, and apply them. James is doing the same thing. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. We don't just want to know the what, we want to know the why? John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Now stop. 
take that knowledge from Jesus being applied to his apostles, move that to the church in general, and understand why does that mean I'm blessed when I persevere under trial? Well, because for starting point, I'm facing trial, which means what? I'm his because I'm not of them, which means they hate me. Because if I'm not them, then I'm us. Remember, those are the two categories of people, right? There's us and there's them. There's only two categories, people who like Neil Diamond and people who don't. See? And I won't tell you what the test is because you're all going to start singing. And either way, you're already doing it in your head head right now. Dun, dun, dun. You're welcome. (laughs) But there's believers and there's non-believers. If you are them, then you are not us. And if you are them, then they don't mind you. If you are us, they do, which means you face trial. So there's your first step. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. More than just the what, though, here becomes your why, your how, and the end result. This is what was actually lived out by Christ. This is applying the the wisdom of his life. Hebrews 5. In the days of his flesh... He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Don't get hung up on the became perfect, by the way. When was Christ not perfect? How do you know that? <laughs> yeah, but how do you know? Yeah, but, 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 but how do you know he was perfect? I mean, I could just tell you he was perfect. See, look, they sacrificed him. That was, that's how you know he was perfect. No, because you look at the life of Christ and you see what? You see that perfection on display. You see the healings and the, and the casting out of demons and the raising of the dead and the making of food. You see the miraculous works that would only be done by the man approved of God. And who does God approve of? Those who are sanctified completely. Those who are perfect and holy and righteous. You see the proof. This is why you know he became perfect. No, he's always been perfect, but his perfection was displayed and demonstrated to you. More though than that, this is what's been promised, Christian. Go back to Matthew 10. Behold, what's the rule? Pay attention, right? I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Does that sound like a fun assignment? Like there's a pack of hungry wolves roaming the countryside. You get to pick an animal to go roam among them. You pick the almighty sheep. Give you an idea how much defense mechanism sheep have. I, this is I, one of these days I'm going to remember to save this and bring it in. There, I, I forget where it is. It's like New Zealand or Australia or something. All the weird stuff like happens in the Florida of the world. You know, we have Florida. The rest of the world has Australia. You know that, right? If you didn't, now you do. I want to say it was there, but one of the this guy had sheep and he lost one and assumed it was gone because if you don't find it after a day or so, the odds that you're going to ever find it are. Slim to none. But they actually found this sheep like four or five years later. And because no one had sheared it, the thing could barely walk. But because the fluff was so thick, that's the only reason it was actually alive. Because they went digging into the fluff of the thing in the wool. And they could find the bite marks and the claw marks where animals had tried to kill the thing. And just couldn't gnaw through the stuffing, basically. (laughs) And then I have this mental image of this wolf pack, you know, 
It's like when you give your dog peanut butter and it sticks his mouth and they're trying to spit it out. Same idea. I mean, that's your defense. Do you feel real comfortable in the world? Like, you, what are the odds you're going to be the one sheep who lives long enough to get enough fluff that you don't get eaten alive in the woods? Is this a good plan? No, this is a terrible plan. Congratulations, Christian. This is how God has sent you out. You are sheep amongst wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, are you supposed to be an idiot? No, you're supposed to be wise in the world, paying attention to what's going on. But does that mean you are engaged in the iniquity and sin and conniving and scheming of the world? No, shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men. They will hand you over to the courts, scourge you in their synagogues. You will even be be brought before, you say that three times fast, governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Why? So that you can prove, so that you can overcome. In other words, you face trials because you are his, because you are not of the world, so that you can testify to his mercy, grace, and goodness, so that you may stand firm and overcome by being faithful to the end. By the way, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Um, when? Does that occur, Christian? Yeah, does that... So this isn't a Hollywood movie, right? You don't go walking in before the governors and the kings and testify to the goodness of Christ and be like, oh, look at this guy. His testimony is so wonderful and his words have been so eloquent. You know what we should do? Let's throw him a parade and give him a crown. No, God gives you the crown, which means what did they probably do to your head first? Yeah, they probably removed it. In other words, you overcome by being faithful unto what? Unto death, unto the end. Um, Can I borrow your bulletin real quick? That's why I haven't changed the picture on the front of your bulletin. The martyrdom of James. This is who James is. Faithful unto death. Nothing separating you from the love of God. This is what Paul talks about in Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be, to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. This is what John promises to the churches of Asia Minor in Revelation chapter 2. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so you will be tested, and you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. In other words, who is saved according to Jesus? He who perseveres to the end. How do you know you made it? You got there. (laughs) I mean... You have that family member that always tells you, call us when you get there. Do you call five minutes before you get there? You have, and you should feel bad about that because you know where most traffic accidents occur. (laughs) Yeah, that's why. You would feel terrible if you called them five minutes from home and then you didn't actually make it home. We're home safe. Never mind. Beep, beep, beep. Do phones even do that anymore when you hang up? They just go dead now. It's the, 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 the messed up part about not having a landline anymore. No. In the Christian walk, you get there when you actually get there. So you will be tried and you will be tested. 
and your faith will be revealed because this is how God refines and purifies his people. So let's continue. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So every time you looked up at the sky and brought your fist up and said, Why'd you do this to me? Wrong one. Wrong one. Wrong direction. Why? Well, God is good. How do you know that? The Bible tells me so. <laughs> For the Bible tells me so. Right? There you go. Start singing. Leviticus 11. I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. By the way, Christian, this is why your sanctification matters. Because you're trying to look like who each day? You're trying to look more and more like Christ and less and less like you. Well, Jesus is holy and righteous and perfect. You are supposed to be persevering to do what? Hopefully look holy, righteous, and perfect. How you doing? Just checking, you know, making sure. <laughs> this is why you lean into him and why you endure, endure trials. But go back to Romans 8. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. That's just the testimony that God has given. The reason that you know is because you can see his interactions with the world. And when you see his interactions with the world, you recognize who he is and what he is doing. Go back to Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk, seeing the understanding of God's work and the sin around him, your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? It's a rhetorical question because he knows he shouldn't. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? This is why I love Habakkuk. We went through Habakkuk. A while ago, I don't even know if we still have the recordings for that. Might have to go back and go through something like Habakkuk again. It was fun. This is a great question. Habakkuk looks at the sin around him and he's like, why are you allowing these people? And God's answer is, oh, I'm not. I'm going to send the Babylonians. And then Habakkuk freaks out because he recognizes what? We're bad. The Babylonians are worse than we are. I mean, come on. And then you realize we're not comparing you to them or them to you or you to anybody else. We're comparing everyone to God. And when Habakkuk gets that perspective, it dawns on him, you know what? Your work is good. And if you use them to judge us and then you judge them, you have done what is good and what is right and have accomplished what you have promised. And so he waits. Maybe a better example is what would happen in your mind, you think, if you saw God? <clears throat> How do you think you'd act? You'd be like, oh, hey, let's go have a, let's go, let's go sit down, have a soda, you know, watch a game, chill out, you know make some popcorn. It'll be a good afternoon, right? What did Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am unworthy because I am unclean, and I live amongst an unclean people. Why? Because he's looking at God, and the seraphim and the cherubim are crying out what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's what happens when we went through, we saw this in Exodus, right? They come to the foot of the mountain, all their griping, grumbling, and complaining. God comes down on the mountain, everybody goes, my bad. Yeah, we're good. No one ascend to the mountain. Duh. We're going to stay right here because the last thing anybody wants is to go up there because if we went up there, he's up there, and then our sin is up there before him, and that's a bad combination. This is again, Christian, why you're sanctified. Why your sanctification matters. To do otherwise is to look at the world and go, it's not that bad. 
It's, it's all right. It's a nice swamp. I mean, there aren't alligators in it. The water's kind of clear as long as you don't move your feet around too much. You know, the lily pads are nice. You can hear the crickets in the evening. It's, kinda, it's an okay swamp. I mean, when building your dream home, do you picture it backed up against a nice swamp? <laughs> Where's Becca when you need her? She's camping with, this, with the scouts this weekend. She's from Louisiana. That's half that state is a swamp. I could pick on her right now, but <laughs> uh, hopefully she's listening in. If she is, she's shaking her head at me right now, which I approve of, because Becca shakes her head at me the same way Cameron does in disapproval, you know. <laughs> and I need that in my life. <laughs> but yeah, nobody thinks, oh, that's a lovely swamp. We should build more of these. Because you recognize what? It's a swamp, and I don't want to be a part of that, and it's disgusting, and there's mud, and it smells weird after the rain, and none of this is any good. Christian, welcome to the world. The earth and the things of the earth are passing away. It's lusts. These are all the things that are under judgment, under sin. We don't seek to be like them. We seek to be like him. Now, if everything in your life was awesome, and the world just patted you on your back every day, who would you think is good and right? Me, them, and everything that we're doing. And God would be looking down, shaking his head, going, you missed it. You missed it by a lot. We're not Bob Euchre here. Just a bit outside. You're way off the mark here. So what must we do? We must have animosity. We must have the us versus the them. You must be refined. You must be purified. Think of it like chiseling a sculpture. Do you take a big block of marble and be like, ooh, look, it's a lovely block of marble. I'll put that in my kitchen. No, the first thing that happens is what? You got to trim it down to the right size. You want to polish it up. You want to put a nice finish on it. You want work done. You don't, do you go to the museum and they just take blocks of marble and put them on pedestals and everybody oohs and ahs at them? You're like, oh, that's a lovely block of marble. It's not as good as this block of marble over here, though. No. Why are you impressed with the blocks of marble at the museum? Because a skilled craftsman, a sculptor, has done what? He has chiseled, he has worked, he has refined and made it beautiful into something other than just a block of rock. It is now representing something. It looks like something. Christian, welcome to your world. This is what God is doing. This is why you don't blame God. You don't go, what are you doing to me? It is, what is this world doing? Because I recognize where I am going. If I'm butting up against them, it is because they either they are trying to drag me down or I am walking a little too close to where I shouldn't belong. So verse 14. Instead, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So in other words, where does your sin come from, Christian? You! And my sin comes from me. And then when I'm done finding sin in me, you know where else I find it? In me. And then when I'm done finding it in me, you know where else I find it? In me some more. It is always, always, always in me. I love this. Carried away and enticed. Um, the, the, uh, the literal translation is to be lured like a wild animal would be to a trap. <laughs> it's not even a fishing analogy. It's, <laughs> it's you know, it's, it's trapping the critters you don't want around. It starts in you, which is why you're warned, Christian. All right, James is the wisdom book of the New Testament. What's the wisdom book of the Old Testament, Christian? Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away 
from evil. <laughs> oh, did we lose you back there, or is the computer fighting around? <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> Sometimes the computer is a pain. You're clicking on it, and it's not actually doing anything. <laughs> That's all right. So, no, Proverbs 3, your wisdom in action. You're carried away by your own lust because you're paying attention to who? You and what you want. You're no longer paying attention to holiness and righteousness. This is why your prophets warned you. When you this, is, this, is the, this is why I love the world. Okay? Follow your heart. Do what you feel is right. Right? You've never heard that, right? You've never heard some like 19-year-old singer at the Grammys say anything like that. You can, anything you can dream, you can accomplish if you'll just follow your heart. They all sound like that too. Why is that? <laughs> The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what Jeremiah warns you. So when the world looks at you and says, follow your heart, do what you believe in, what they're actually saying is ignore your Bible. Do the opposite of what God has commanded you. Follow after what you think is right and good in the world. Do everything just like us. Yeah, I think I just answered my own question. That's why they sound like that. Because if they walked up to you and be like, follow your heart, do what you believe is right. Everything will be wonderful for you. You'd be like, why are you doing the creepy announcer voice? I'm not listening to you. It's always packaged how? It's happy and it's uplifting and it's follow your heart and everything will be wonderful and we'll skip through fields of wildflowers and, you know. It sounds joyful and ridiculous, doesn't it? Because for just a split second, what do you think? It's joyful and ridiculous and what do we need more of in life? Why do you think I do things like this? You need more joyful and ridiculous in your life. So if I can give it to you, maybe you won't go looking for it out there. <laughs> Better stop that before I twist an ankle. But this is what I mean when I say nothing in the world is laid out to have you follow God. Remember, it's us against them. This is the thing we forget. Christian, you're at war. You're not told to put on just the wisdom of God. You're told to put on the armor of God. Do soldiers wear their armor to like, well, we're going to the bathroom. We're in the barracks at the base where we're safe. Let's put on our armor. I mean, if they do, they're kind of weird, right? You probably didn't pass the psycho valve to get into the army. If you're like, I need my helmet. I'm going to the latrine. <laughs> you got to fight the thing? What's going on? No. When do you put on your armor? When you're going to battle. Nobody walks around in 28 pounds of Kevlar for fun, unless you're in CrossFit, in which case you're weird, but that's okay. We still love you. Sorry, there will always be CrossFit slander in my mind. You're okay. <laughs> you don't do this. You put on armor when you're getting ready to go to war. Christian, you're supposed to put on that armor how often? Daily. Preparing yourself for battle. If you want, I'll say it like you're Scottish. Prepare yourself for battle. So there you go. Anything will help you remember things. Because this is what is going on in the world. You are fighting not just the them that is out there, but you're fighting the part of them that is in here. Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What happened in Genesis 7? Anybody know? Think through your Bible for a minute. Genesis 1, we create everything. Genesis 2, we expand the creation of Adam and Eve. Uh, Genesis 3 is the fall. Genesis 4 is Cain and Abel. Genesis 5 is the table of nations. You get to see where everybody went to. Well, I'm sorry, that's Genesis 10 is the table of nations. Genesis 5 is the family line of Seth. Genesis 6 is the beginning of what, dude? Noah! 
And God looks upon the earth and sees that every thought of man's heart is evil continually. So if we got Noah in six, what did we get in seven? Yeah, and the rains came down and the water came up, and there's a song for that, isn't there? <laughs> My wife, who knows all the children's songs, she goes, yes, yes, there is, and she'll be doing the hand motion shortly. Okay, so flood in seven, receding waters in eight, and Noah gets out of the boat in eight, right? So everything's better now, correct? Chapter 8 of Genesis, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, that's the offering, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. In, in other words, even righteous Noah was what? Broken. He was, he was a good Jimmy Carter. I have lust in my heart. Wasn't that Jimmy Carter that said that? That, 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 that sounds like something Jimmy Carter would say. No, well, Jimmy Carter's from Georgia, remember? Well, no, Bill Clinton had lust everywhere else. <laughs> Jimmy Carter was a, a good liberal Baptist. That's, you want, oh, just, just completely unrelated to anything. To this day, we get slandered with that because Jimmy Carter, like up until like a month ago, was actually teaching Sunday school in his Baptist church in Georgia. But he's one of those Baptist churches that would throw me out so fast, it's not even funny one of those Baptist churches that denies the Bible and would look at me for what we're doing going, what are you people teaching it like that for? That's just, we want to follow our hearts and do what we think is wonderful. You know, yes, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. See, I, I, it's never me that brings the slander. It's always somebody else. So what happens, Christian? Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Verse 15, then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Well, that got depressing real quick, didn't it? See, we were all happy getting what we wanted, doing what we loved, and then all of a sudden we ran into a brick wall or we fell into a pit or something bad happens to you. Psalm chapter 7. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. If a man does not repent, who is he preparing these weapons against? God. I mean, if I'm, if I'm not going to war against my sin, who am I going to war against? God. Remember, you're in or you're out. This is the warning that you get. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what do I do, Christian? I have lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eyes. I am warring against them. But let's be honest. Every once in a while, you start walking this way, right? We're doing really good, and then what happens? And then you look up. Now what? Now what? Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. In other words, be wary, be watchful, pay attention. Or to quote what James said, have wisdom. Remember this for the rest of this book. When James is warning you that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Why do you want wisdom, Christian? Well, because God is wisdom, because I need to be wise in this world to follow after him. Because again, 
What in this world is set up to pull you closer to God, or maybe to push you closer to God would be a better description? Nothing, which means you are forever going out into the world and having to do what? Discern, evaluate, think through what is going on around you. You are forever having to make decisions, choices, and observations in wisdom with the knowledge of who God is, what he has done, what you are, what's going on in this world, and what God has done about all of those things. When James is warning you to walk in wisdom, to be wise in the, way, in the midst of God, he is warning you to be sanctified. He is warning you to walk in your salvation. Walk away from the world. Wisdom, again, it's our trivia question, right? What do I tell you almost every week? We give you this trivia question so that one day you will be challenged to a life or death duel in Bible trivial pursuit, and you will win. Yeah, it'll be like devil went down to Georgia. He's going to slam into you with a Buick in traffic and pull out a board game and be like, for your soul, let's go right now. That's not how this works, is it? No, I don't. I, I almost said something I was going to regret. I care that you know the answer. But if all you know is the answer, we have failed. Okay? We have failed. I don't want you to just know the answer. I want you to know why the answer matters. I want to be training and teaching you how to think through things. This is one of those conversations you have. You ever want to know the difference between a good school and a bad school, a good teacher and a bad teacher? Bad schools and bad teachers teach you what to think. Good schools and good teachers teach you how to think. Do you see the difference? This is why I actually enjoyed teaching history to middle and high schoolers. Because terrible history teachers give you history for what purpose? <laughs> so that you can sit down on the exam and go, the French Revolution began in 1789 with the storming of the Bastille, and then we beheaded Louis, and I don't care which one it was. And the It's just numbers and it's dates and it's names on a page. I don't care. Why do we study history? Because it's a revelation of God and his work and the unfolding of humanity either in submission or in rebellion to him. You can see the working out of the fruits of worldviews when you look at human history. You are living in a world that is a direct reaction to things that happened 400 years ago. Your postmodern philosophical concept, and I don't just mean yours, but I mean the postmodern philosophical concept that lives in the world. If you have no idea what I just said, um, this is why nobody knows what bathroom to use. Because we have adopted a postmodern worldview in the world. And what that says is that all truth is unknowable. Well, why do they think like that? Because they got to the other side of World War II, and it was a rejection of modernism. Modernism was the idea that through human accomplishment, human achievement, and human progress, we are making the world a better place. Well, World War I and World War II proved what? <laughs> for all our technological advances, for all our peace treaties, and all our interconnected you know, works and things we did with ambassadors, what did we really just create? Better, more efficient means of doing what? Killing the people I don't like. <laughs> and the more technology we have, the more likely we are to kill the people we don't like. So they looked at it and said our progress is bad because our progress is too based on objective fact. We need to recognize that truth is now subjective. 
And there is a way that you live and a way that I live, and we need to learn how to live together and deconstruct the ways that we think about these things. This is the world you live in. That's a reaction to modernism, which was a reaction to enlightenment thinking in the 17th and 18th centuries, which was a reaction to romanticism, which was a reaction to the Renaissance, which was a reaction to what was created in the Reformation and the mindset and challenging of authority. I just went back 600 years. I mean, I did it quickly, but you're living in a world that is directly related to the centuries that have come before you. Now, is that how your history class was presented? (laughs) Because more than likely you were told what to think. Now, I tell you all of that because welcome to your Bible and the wisdom of Scripture. James wants you to be wise. Meaning while he is telling you somewhat what to think, he is more important, more worried about telling you how to think, to evaluate, to understand, and where your trust should be located. Because when you anchor those things rightly and now go out into the world, you cannot go off course. Okay? Now keep in mind, when I say you cannot go off course, when do you reach the destination? At the end, at the end of the journey. So when I say, all right, bad analogies. I should have brought like a rope or something with me, but this is what happens when you don't plan these things ahead. So I've cast my anchor. I've set myself on scripture and I am traveling the road of life. I cannot go off course because my anchor is here and it's straight lined there, right? So what happens when stiff wind blows along? Did I stay on the course? No, I got off for a little while, but because I have an anchor, because I have a starting point, I can always do what? I can always come back to my right course. Christian, this is what your sanctified life looks like. This is what it looks like to have an anchor in the wisdom of God. Is that you're going to be blown here and there, tossed around on occasion, but the anchor will hold and you will persevere unto the end. This is the difference from the person who walks away, the person who practices sin, who indulges in sin, and the person who falls into sin. You understand the difference? I know I'm always talking about this, but these things matter because the number one place Christians beat themselves half to death over, wake up and realize I'm no longer on the highway. I'm no longer in the right place. Oh, woe is me. I have sinned against God. How can he ever love me? Get back in the road. Get back on the right track and keep moving forward because that's the work that he is doing. You got a big temptation. You fell into sin. I get that. You came out. Why? Because he didn't forsake you. He didn't forget you. His work was good. He persevered when you did not. Again, it's the footprints in the sand joke I'm always making. You were walking. There were two sets of footprints. For a while, there was what? <laughs> there were some drag marks. We were, we were bringing, the car, bringing the carcass through and getting you to the other side. Now it's time to do what? It's time to get up and walk some more. Do not be deceived. Be wise in the world. Old Testament starts with this. Well, it doesn't start with this, but your, your praise of God starts with this. Go to Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. In other words, why don't you walk like they walk? Why don't you sit where they sit? And why don't you think like they think? Because I'm planted in the word. Therefore, I walk where God walks and I sit where God sits and I think the way God has commanded me to think. This is a New Testament concept, right? Romans 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to do what? 
Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. But what? Be transformed. By what? The renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we've talked about this. I want to change what you do. What must I first change? How you think. Because what you do is a reflection of what you think about. But in order to change what you think about, I first have to change what you want. Change what you want. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. If I stick you out in the Sahara Desert for a month and give you just enough to get by so that you're starving and dehydrated, and then we pick you up, you want to go to a Cubs game? Why not? Cubs games are fun. I mean, I'll even guarantee they're going to beat the tar out of the Cardinals when we go. You want to go now? Why not? <laughs> Why don't you want to go to the Cubs game? It's going to be fun. It's going to be an awesome day. Because I'm starving and dehydrated. You know what I want? I want water and food. When I'm no longer dying, you know what you can do? Then you can talk to me about the Cubs game. But right now, let's not die. Good plan? Like, crawling through the desert, are you making your plans for your retirement? <laughs> no! You're making your plans for what? Not dying. In other words, what you're thinking about is directly related to what you want. The problem we get in the modern world is we are so coddled and so cuddled and so provided for that what we want is legion. And our desires get warped. It's almost like our lusts are carrying us away in conceiving our own sins. The scriptural warning is, change your heart. Then change your mind and let your actions follow. Orient yourself each and every day by not being deceived, by focusing upon God and his work. And then you will test what is right. This is what 1 John warns you, 1 John 4. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, it's broken. It's messed up. It's destroyed and corrupted in so many ways, what must you do? You must think rightly. <laughs> so, verse 17. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, because God gives to all. Matthew 5 reminds you of this. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, who is the one responsible to God? Everyone. Who receives their provision from God? Everyone. Because God rules this place. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. He made it. Genesis 1. He commands it. Isaiah 48. And that rule of his will end when? Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Now, that is good news, because if all the provision of this place comes from God, and God is the one who rules, and God is holy, then that's good news, because we can continue. Every good thing and every perfect gift given I'm sorry, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In other words, he does not 
change. Which means the good God of Genesis 1 is the good God of Genesis 7, is the good God of Genesis 15, is the good God of the Exodus, is the good God of the kingdom years, is the good God of the work of Christ, is the good God in Acts, is the good God in Revelation, is the good God in your life each and every day. This is what Malachi tried to teach the Israelites. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. In other words, his promises endure because he is good and he is faithful. And because of that, Christian, you can trust him. Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? In other words, why should Israel have trusted in the promises of God? Because they were promises of God. Therefore, they were secure. Always remember this lesson from Abraham. So God makes the covenant with Abraham. Abraham cuts the animals, places them down. Now, what's supposed to happen in a covenantal ceremony is both parties are supposed to then pass through the pieces of critter, and then they have a meal together, and there's all sorts of other rituals that go into the meal. The the main symbolization of this is you're making a deal with the other person. What you're saying is for all those gathered around, because you don't just make a deal by yourself, but you make a deal with your clan and your family and the whole bit. So what you're saying is if either one of us reneges on our deal, you're telling the clans and the family members to do what? Like these animals? That's what you do to us when we break the deal. Aren't you just so glad the bank just wants you to sign paperwork now? <laughs> Although, it would be a lot more entertaining to go get a mortgage if you had to like go cut a chicken in half at the bank and walk through it. Banks would be a lot more interesting, wouldn't they? <laughs> You'd probably take the lady at the bank a lot more seriously. Like, don't you argue with me. <laughs> Dead chickens laying on the floor somewhere. There's feathers attached to the ceiling. Yeah, it's a different world, all right? So Abraham does this. He lays out the critters. And then Abraham walks through the critters with God, right? No, Abraham goes and passes out because God puts him in a deep, deep, dark, dark. That's the, the literal Hebrew translation. It's a deep, deep, dark, dark. <laughs> It's a terrifying sleep, the blackest of black. And God passes through. And God swears by what? That he will accomplish everything. Himself. Why? See, why do you look at somebody and go, I swear to God, I'll do it. Why do you say that? I swear on my mother's life. Because the assumption of that is what? That your mother's life is something that is precious to you and important. I Why do you swear by God? Because the assumption is that God is important. Something bigger than yourself. You're God. <laughs> What's next up the totem pole? There isn't anything. And that's the lesson to Israel, is when he makes his promise, he swears by himself. The greatest, largest, most powerful thing. That's why you can trust the promises. And by the way, has any of that changed? No, that's why Hebrews tells you what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, none of this has changed because God hasn't changed. So, verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be kind of first fruits among his creatures. Here's James's big giant, so what? 
I always tell you one of the, uh, I haven't said this in a while, you know, the shame on me. So, you know, bad, bad Michael. Shame on me for not saying this more often. If you ever want one of those tricks for understanding your Bible, I always tell you to try to ground it in the context. One of the ways you do that and help yourself is when you read a section, ask yourself, so what? Like, why is this here? What is this accomplishing? How does this get me closer to Christ? How does this get me closer to God? How does this develop the story? How does this do anything? James just did the so what for this section. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruit among his creatures. Remember, this was our lesson about James and who he is, that God's work works, that God actually accomplishes something for his people. Go to John 3. He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the, la- but the wrath of God abides on him. If you'd like to expand on that um, idea, go read Ephesians 1 for homework. The work of God actually accomplishes something in your life. It redeems you. It changes your heart, renews your mind, and gives you a new path, anchors you so that you cannot go astray, and then strengthens you so that you will persevere into the end. That's a whole lot of you not doing a whole lot, is it? That's very good news, because what's the history of humanity? When left to your own devices and designs, what do we do? (laughs) And that's a technical term. Because none of it is good. Instead, God works on behalf of his people by working in his people according to what? How do you know the game plan? Having, having been a, uh, a baseball, football, and unfortunately youth basketball coach, you know what you don't do? You don't just send the kids out there with no idea what's going on. Because <laughs> you know what that looks like? Yeah, chaos. It's a mess. Especially in a football team. We have these things called... Plays. <laughs> and even youth defense that I was in charge of. Had the kids stand out there with a little wristband and I'd give him a number code and he would check his wristband and call out the defense. Because it's not as simple as we just line up 11 people and, all right, we all go that way. <laughs> you actually have a job that you do. Well, Christian, how do you know the game plan? How do you know where you're going and how to get there? Because God who's accomplishing this work in you is doing it according to his promises which are contained in his word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Also that what God has promised will come to pass and his people can rejoice in his work. Because that's the end. It's Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. See, that's the end. 
that's where we're going. Are you there yet? No. As the comedian once said, if you haven't gotten to where you're going, you aren't there yet. Which means you keep doing what? You keep traveling. You keep persevering. You keep trusting. You keep being tempted. You keep struggling. You keep overcoming. You keep being refined. You keep walking faithfully by his grace, by his mercy, in his power. And again, this is how this works. And I promise you this is where we finish up. What we mess up is we go, okay, I know which way I'm going and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid my sin. And I'm not going to be angry and I'm not going to have hatred and I'm going to evangelize. I'm gonna... do, you, do you know where you messed up already? <laughs> I'm, 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 start, I'm making a bunch of promises that are based on whose ideas? Mine, my power, my accomplishment. I'm going to, yeah, we got this. No, we don't. It starts with what? A look at myself and a recognition that I am broken and in need of mercy and grace every day. And then for every time you look at you, what do we do? We look back at Christ repeatedly because I'm now reminded that you are gracious and you are good and you have redeemed me. And the path that I travel, I travel because you have placed me here. And the perseverance that I have is because you have worked within me. Now, my life is an offering. It's no longer an accomplishment. And that mindset makes all the difference. Because when it's an accomplishment, we start patting our back and we start... (laughs) And then the brokenness comes out because we've forgotten where we stand and we've forgotten why we stand. But when it's an offering, it doesn't matter. Because I know it isn't good. Because I'm not good. But I know that in Christ, he makes it good. And that he picks up where I am lacking. He accomplishes where I fail. And he completes where I fall short. Therefore, I can rest and trust in him, knowing that as I offer, and even if I fail to offer this time, I can offer next time. Because while I've been carried about and moved a little bit here and there, what am I still doing as I travel? I'm getting back on track. I'm getting back on track day by day. And I know that it is his work that brings me together. And that, you know what? The thing that tripped me up last time, you know what it's not going to do? Not going to trip me up next time. Because we can see that one coming. And he has chiseled that part off. And that thing that was dragging me down, he has removed. And I can be strengthened by all that he is. And I can observe this world. And I can think through this world because I have his wisdom, his heart, his mind, his understanding, his mercy, his grace, my offering. Let's pray.